Welcome to episode six of the Strength Ratio podcast. I'm Zach Greenwald here with Kyle Klachenko and Eric Sobolisky. So last week we spoke about strength training. We spoke about how strength training can fit in a larger plan uh, and how we can train not just strength and strength alone, but also strength concurrent with other things uh, as part of a concurrent plan. So, or, or what, what people might think of as a mixed model plan. Today, we're going to get into the specific variables that are involved. So when we think of the number of reps that we do, the weight, the sets, the rest intervals, frequency, etc. We're going to get into all the details, but before we get into details that you can enact in your program starting tomorrow, we're going to start, generally speaking, about creating a threshold for change or doing just enough to create an adaptation. Perhaps what's the minimum that we need to do for that change to happen? How do we know if we've done too much? And where might an in-between be that allows for the most progress over time? So just to start with a story. Uh, I was a junior in college and uh, Sobo on the other line of the call asks the class, well, this was in person, uh, raise your hand if you uh, train on the elliptical. And a lot of hands went up in the class. And then Sobo said, uh, keep your hands up if you've used the same speed for the same duration for as long as you've used the elliptical. And majority of those hands stayed up. And so Bo politely said that you are no fitter uh, now than you were when you started, assuming that that was all they were doing. And I just wanted to stand up and slow clap with what I knew uh, in the limited dose at that point in my education of exercise and generally speaking about the stress response. And that's where we're going to start. So if we know that doing the same thing over and over again is going to be something that our body quickly adapts to and after which there will be no further gains. But if we change things up, we can definitely see change. Though, as I mentioned before, how often do we want to change things? At what rate do we want to accelerate progress? How much is too much? How much is too little? That's where we're going to start. So, Sobo, why don't you kick us off just talking about how to create these thresholds and how we know if these thresholds have been met to inspire change, is there just one way to know this threshold or are there multiple? So getting into the stress, our bodies are huge regulators of stress. So as we progress in our training in our life, just like you talked about the elliptical, if we get on the elliptical or do anything for the same thing over and over again, we apply to stress initially. So you got an elliptical, you went at six miles an hour for 30 minutes. That stress, your body adapted to relatively quickly and said, give me some more. And you continued to you know, do the elliptical at six miles an hour for 30 minutes for the next you know, two years of your life. So our bodies encounter a stress response, a stressor, weightlifting, cardiovascular with running or rowing or cycling. And once it's met that challenge, it adapts and it becomes really efficient at that movement or that weight or that duration and that intensity. So we get really good at doing the same thing over and over again, but we don't get any better at 
whatever we're doing. We could just do it really well. So in order to cause change and in specifically with strength training, you have to meet a threshold. The American College of Sports Medicine has a stance and it says the number one key for adaptation in strength training is to activate the muscles past a threshold. So there's a threshold at which your muscles need to be met to cause adaptation. Traditionally in the literature, it says about 70% will cause adaptation, which that's traditional. Nowadays, everybody's saying, you know what, that threshold of being a percent of your 1RM to cause adaptation may not be the best way to cause adaptation because everybody says, well, if I don't go over 70% on my bench press or my squat, I'm not going to have adaptation. Well, Kyle will talk about here in a minute that there are other things that go into stress rather than just weight. There is the volume, how much reps you're doing, how much sets you're doing, how much rest you're getting in between. So all that goes into play to hit this threshold. So the threshold's not a, a set point at 70% will cause this and 80% will cause this. It is basically how are you going to hit that threshold? And we're going to get into more of how do you stimulate that threshold um, and how can you tell if you stimulate that threshold? So a lot of people say, well, if I do three sets of five with 50%, did I hit that threshold? Well, some key indicators that you can tell if you hit that threshold. One is, did you fatigue? If you were supposed to do three sets of five, did you hit that fifth set, that fifth rep on that third set? If not, and it was easy, all of them were easy. If you can do three sets of five push-ups and no problem, then you haven't fatigued. It wasn't hard enough. You haven't elicited any type of fatigue. So unless you're fatigued and there's a visible sign of fatigue, like you do not, cannot, or just will not be able to finish the rep, you're supposed to do 10, you only can get nine. That's a sign that you've hit that threshold. If your bar speed, like a lot of people um, in professional sports and college sports like to look at bar speed movement. I know they have all sorts of cool little apps you can record and look at your bar speed. If your bar speed diminishes, so if you're doing squats at 1.3 meters per second and your first set was at 1.3, your second set was at 1.3, and then your third set was at 0.9, you've probably hit a threshold at which there's been a decrease. Um, so bar speed's one, fatigue's one. Um, the, the pump is another one. Did you did you create enough um, transient hypertrophy and kind of edema in the muscle to cause some type of swelling, probably with just water, but that kind of response. So there's like the pump response, the fatigue response, kind of a more scientific with um, does my speed diminish response. So those are kind of three easy ways to tell if you hit that threshold. So if you're not doing it, if you're doing push-ups and you do three sets of five and you can do the fifth rep just as fast as you did the first one on your last set. You're probably not hitting the threshold. And if you're not hitting that threshold, your body is not adapting, period. If you get up every morning and you do 10 push-ups every morning, you're going to be really good at doing 10 push-ups, but you're not going to cause any more adaptations just beyond 10 push-ups. You got to go to 12. You got to go to 15. You got to go to 20. It's the whole progressive overload. Um, and that progressive overload can change. Kyle and I and Zach will talk about more how you can really manipulate overload rather than just increasing weight over time. So Kyle, do you want to finish me off here with uh, with the reps and sets and stuff? Yeah, so I'm going to uh, pretty quickly and very generally go over um, 
the training variables and uh, typical things that people uh, that where they see or read that they are associated with rep ranges, sets, volume. Uh, so when you think about volume and strength training, higher volumes are typically associated with uh, hypertrophy and muscular endurance. Moderate volumes are more associated with strength and low volumes with power and speed. Uh, when you think about intensity, uh, 90% plus is usually associated with maximal strength, uh, strength training. Um, so like uh, uh, general strength would be more of like 75% plus, 80% plus. Uh, hypertrophy would be your 60% plus. Uh, reps and sets. Uh, reps, The this is the one that's mainly heard uh, everywhere. Hypertrophy is usually, usually at 7 to 12. General strength is usually associated with about three to six reps and the maximal strength, uh, one to three reps. Uh, and muscular endurance, again, is probably that 12 plus. Uh, and uh, t- rest intervals, um, strength training is usually the three plus minutes. Uh, you can also go all the way up to five minutes rest between sets. Uh, that's probably more of your maximal strength and power. And then endurance would be uh, two minutes, one minute or less, uh, and then frequency, um, strength and power are usually, uh, lower frequencies by hypertrophy is probably a higher frequency and muscular endurance is even higher then. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all of the general training variables you have right there and the general things that you, uh, associate with them in terms of sets, reps, volume, intensity, time. Uh, did I miss any guys? No, that's kind of if anybody opens up a textbook or looks online, those are probably the this the simple general recommendations by any organization and by anybody. That's kind of the traditional makeup. So anybody who's listening, like that's just the standard. It's been around since the seventies, um, but we might flip that upside down here in this podcast. Yeah. So what Sobo mentioned with adaptations, that is something that has existed in our scientific understanding of sport and of human performance for quite some time. Um, That understanding has certainly improved, but at at its very core, are we creating enough challenge to get better knowing that the body is very fast to adapt to the same stimulus over time? However, and this is, uh, something that we're going to really dive into, and, and perhaps it's something that hasn't yet been discussed on any podcast, is while those guidelines are general and will work for you, um, how can we perhaps mix things up and manipulate these variables in ways that may not have been done before, but see potentially better gains or the same gains as these guidelines? Because more and more literature is revealing uh, changes in our understanding of periodization of hypertrophy, for example, uh, while the general recommendation for endurance, though it will certainly uh, elicit an adaptation endurance, would be 12 plus, while hypertrophy is this separate, distinct rep range that is more around what Kyle said to be 8 to 12 at that 60 plus percent range. Um, we're finding that you can actually have equal hypertrophic effects with 15 to 20 reps as long as we're creating or more, more, as long as we're creating that threshold as evidenced by uh, primarily some of those uh, major uh, concepts or indicators that Sobo suggested. So if 
we're understanding that the adaptation must be created and that understanding hasn't changed, but perhaps while these general guidelines will work, we can spiral these variables together in new and different ways based on the latest literature, we can create a new uh, plan, a new concept that allows us to take on, as we've mentioned in this part of this concurrent training discussion, more variables all at the same time. So Sobo, uh, if you want to talk a little bit more about what we've discovered most recently uh, that would seem to contradict the general guidelines and while they're effective, uh, perhaps raise some questions as for how else we can train for size or strength. So it all comes down to, you know, all these studies have shown that the different rep ranges and sets ranges improve those different aspects of training. And so we've gotten the idea that they only train that aspect. So if I train for endurance and I do 16 reps, I'm only going to do get my muscular endurance better. Well, if you look at the literature, and there's been a couple of really good huge meta-analysis that have analyzed you know, over hundreds of studies looking at you know, strength training programs, and they have found that every program you do, whether it's a strength program or a power program or an endurance program or a hypertrophy program, all of them do the same thing, just they do certain aspects a little better. So kind of one of the classic examples is they had a group do five sets of five, and they had a group do three sets of 12. And at the end of the study, the group that did five sets of five had a higher improvement in one RM strength, and the group that did three sets of 12 had a higher improvement in muscular endurance. So the conclusion of the study was, if you want muscular endurance, do three sets of 12, you'll be have better muscular endurance. If you want better strength, do five sets of five. Well, the other part of the study was, that the people who did muscular endurance type exercises, the three sets of 12, they also improved in strength. And the people who did muscular strength type exercises, the five sets of five, they also improved in muscular endurance, just not just at different rates. So it's kind of this concurrent training within strength training that you can get muscular endurance and you will reap some strength benefits. If you do some strength training, you will reap some endurance benefits and the further you get away on the spectrum you get to heavier loads the less likely it is to affect your endurance and the farther on the endurance scope you get the less likely it is affect to affect your overall strength but that big area in the middle which most of us lift weights in most you know normal people the the general population that is where most of us live and we're going to see hypertrophic gains with high volume but we'll also see strength We'll also see, you know, muscular endurance improve with low weight in, you know, higher, uh, lower sets. So this idea that they're mutually exclusive to each other has been proven false. If you improve your strength, you will also improve your endurance. You improve your endurance, you also improve your strength. And I was telling these guys before the podcast, if you think this is false, go ask any professional bodybuilder that, you know, does high volumes of exercise because that's that has proven that higher volumes elicit better hypertrophic responses yet they are still really really strong and people who are really really strong usually have some hypertrophic benefit you know there's not little you know 110 pound guys walking around that are super strong there might be a few but 
majority is if you're stronger, you probably have some hypertrophic adaptations. And even if you do a lot of volume, there's probably some strength. I'm, I'm, I've seen that classic pumping iron video with, with Arnold Schwarzenegger and him doing, you know, three sets of, or a bunch of sets of 10 with 315 on the back squat with a narrow squat stance. I mean, he was really strong. I mean, if you can do that much volume with 315, you probably have some strength behind you, even though I doubt he ever did a 1RM in his whole training career. So you got to think of it that way that it isn't black and white. It's more gray and it's not mutually exclusive to what you're doing on how it can benefit other aspects of your strength program. And we'll get into this, uh, the implementation of all this in the next podcast. But I mean, that example, the three by five versus the three by 12, uh, just speaks to also specificity uh, of training. So, you know, just, I mean, it's going to make sense that if you're doing three by five, you're going to get better at moving heavier weights than if you're doing a three by 12. Um, and that's what typically people think of, but I think that's really interesting what Sobo's saying. It's like, well, you are still making these other other adaptations as well uh, during that training. And I think what's also very important is that we discussed how with concurrent training and just with our everyday lives, really, the biggest variable is time. How much time do we have to put into uh, all of these variables, uh, into actually performing these exercises? And I think oftentimes... We, uh, when we consider what is optimal versus what could be perhaps three to five percent points less optimal, which at the end of the day may translate to five to six pounds and change, uh, relative when we're speaking about this endurance type work versus what might be more specific if you were to say want to improve your one around back squat, well. If you wanted to do 10 sets of three, that might take 90 minutes. Well, I could also do three sets of 10. The same general adaptations are being made. Yes, there's more specificity towards strength with less involvement of the metabolic systems and energy systems. But what might give you your most bang for your buck with time? Uh, So if you follow a program uh, and you want to get into the gym, but you're pressed for time. Get in, do what you can with the time you have, and leave. But just make sure that your time in the gym is spent creating some change and actually uh, eliciting uh, uh, a response by challenging yourself. Of course, uh, challenging yourself with that which you can recover from and not feel beat down the next day. So understanding that time is this very important variable And that perhaps what we understood before with periodization isn't as cut and dry or black and white as we thought. And that the differences with specificity for strength might not be as pronounced as we once thought relative to training more concurrently. You just need to get in the gym, put in the work, and then be done with it. I think a a good thing to talk about or just kind of go down the list would be why uh, these generalities are associated with each of them. So why are uh, high volumes associated with kind of like the hypertrophy 7 to 12 versus moderate volumes? And um, just starting with with volume itself, like you could do 5 by 5s and 
three by fives or 10 by fives for hypertrophy. Uh, but like Zach was saying, that's going to take a lot of time and that's going to be a lot more fatiguing. And so that's generally why the seven by like seven through 12 reps are associated with hypertrophy training because it gives you that intensity threshold, but it also allows you to accumulate a lot of volume there without the added fatigue of the heavier weights. And it allows you to get in more frequency too. So perhaps the hypertrophic rep range exists because it's what allows, say, a bodybuilder to get in the most number of sessions per week Mm -hmm. per muscle group without placing the degree of stress on their joints and tendons as would a high-intensity session. Understanding that all of lifting is hypertrophic, meaning that when you load the body, it is muscle growing and strength building in nature. How can we manipulate these variables to do it most consistently over time for a specific goal? Yeah, and then just like, and then then again, intensity that also plays off of a volume is moderate volumes are associated with uh, strength training, and also that's also going to be because it's the higher intensities a little bit, so that 80 percent plus, and um, that's because like when Sobo is saying that three by five, uh, it's definitely going to increase strength more. That's where specificity comes into play. Mm-hmm. So these all play off one of, one one of another. Uh, but there's kind of a reason they're associated is because they tend to allow you to get the most work in in that area to elicit the adaptations that you want. Yeah. So it's not it's not that it's like you only have to do this. It's just that they tend to allow for the best training in the area. Does that make sense? It is. I think absolutely. And, and as we mentioned, because the body is quick to adapt, we need to make sure that if let's say you have a power lifter and they want to optimize their results. Well, they're going to push the intensity threshold with as much care as they can, meaning they're controlling fatigue as best they can. And they are perhaps uh, applying some type of overload principles to create that change over time so that they can improve their maximal lifts for powerlifting. Same thing for a weightlifter. However, because our body is going to adapt and because our body and each uh, physiological system in our body has a threshold, that power lifter or that weight lifter, as we've mentioned many times in podcasts before, would benefit in, uh, during an off season to back away from the intensity. And conversely, that bodybuilder would want a resensitizing period of perhaps heavier weight with less volume. Mm -hmm. So we have these thresholds and we have these variables that if we want to optimize, we know which one to push more versus the other. But if we're generalists, if we're CrossFitters, we can take on these different variables all at once. We just don't want to do what the power lifter would do and what the bodybuilder would do separately Mm -hmm. now together. If that mm. makes sense. Yeah. There has to be some give and take between there's the two. a, yes, there's a give and take. If we're then attacking these variables all at once, we can do it, but there is a, a, a give and take for sure. Um, so I have a question for you and, uh, Kyle, you might know this too. So with, with sets, because this sets number of times we perform an exercise, which sometimes seems quite arbitrary to people. I believe we'll go to physical therapy and they'll say, how many do I do of this exercise? And we'll, it's three sets of 10. 
well, sometimes people say, well, why three? Why not four or five? Um, and sometimes with athletes who've never experienced with growth with three sets of 10 squats, maybe they should explore four five or six. You would build <laughs> that volume over time. But this question that I have, Sobo, is this idea of, is there an optimal set range uh, for these variables of putting on perhaps more size with volume uh, and more strength with intensity? Does Prelopin's chart uh, have any validity anymore in the science world? Um, if you want to take it for what it is, and you know, if, if we hear any scientists kind of bash out at me or yell at me, most of the numbers we hear in reps and set range are arbitrary. I mean, for we, we have this tradition and it started in Russia with the whole, you know, periodization back in the day and they kind of, they, they hit this home. And so we're used to five sets of five. So, you know, you know, five, five is really, you know, five and three and one are really the only odd numbers we do in strength training. Maybe a set of 15. We don't talk about doing a set of seven or a set of nine. So most of these are pretty much arbitrary numbers that we have rooted in tradition rather than actual science and science has proven that tradition does work but it also hasn't hasn't not proven that other rep sets schemes don't work as well so we've it's kind of like we've been used to it so long that it's just kind of what we do but it works but there's also a thing that says there's there's also no literature that says other things don't work you know if you want to do three sets of seven is that any worse than three sets of eight probably not or four sets of four sets of 11 rather than three sets of 12, you know, it's all kind of arbitrary as long as you're hitting that threshold of which you want to do. If your goal is fatigue, do you fatigue at seven? Do you fatigue at three? Do you fatigue at 11 or 12? That's kind of your own thing. Do you get the pump, you know, at 15 reps or do you get the pump at eight reps? It all kind of just depends on your goal. And then you can play around with this. When you guys were talking earlier this is like my favorite part of programming is you have all these variables and we kind of just touched on a few, but there's all sorts of the frequency, the loading pattern, the reps, the sets, the time it takes you to do the lift. So we didn't even talk about tempo yet on how do you do pause set, slow, eccentric, fast, concentric. What is your rest interval? All of this are like, it's almost like a weightlifting potion. I put a little bit of intensity, a little bit more reps, some sets, put a little time in there, change up the rest interval, increase the frequency, and then boom, out pops, you know, some new magical brew that you just, you know, did in your muscles grow. That's kind of the cool thing is that you can do that. There's no, there's recipes we have, but that doesn't mean you have to follow that recipe. And great thing about programming is if you're constricted to 30 minutes, what is the best concoction we can make to maximize your 30 minutes in the gym or your an hour in the gym? You know, and that's the great thing about programming is the ability to do that through experience and knowledge of physiology of how we can actually truly elicit better responses through changing all these different variables rather than just doing three sets of 10 and four sets of three and all that kind of stuff. What One thing um, Zach and I talk about a lot, Sobo, is, you know, just like you were saying how you can make this this potion is that there can be so many different mixes that make something that allow for you to progress and adapt. Uh, but there's kind of like these, there sometimes can be these basic 
boxes that you have to check mark to make sure that these this potion works together well um, in terms of like overload, uh, maybe some sort of specificity and other things. What what are kind of those boxes for you uh, so that you have these things that you need to have, but then from that point on, you can do kind of like what almost whatever in terms of mixing all of this together. So I, I, a couple of boxes I, I like to check is I like to, um, over the course of a week or a training program, there has to be some form of fatigue involved. So I like to check the fatigue box. So do something that really makes you tired. And I'm not saying like totally exhaust you so you can't walk out of the gym, but do a set to failure or do a set to near failure. So I like doing that. I love kind of checking the box of did I fatigue my muscle? not fatigue my body and kill myself. The next one is, do I, I have I put enough tension? You know, we kind of didn't talk about this, but tension can be done in kind of all sorts of different ways. It can be done um, with what we call time under tension. So how long was I loaded under the bar? Did I do a bench press and have a, a three-second lowering with a one-second pause with a two-second concentric phase with a one-second pause at the top? So how did I apply tension to the body? Right? Is it a heavy tension and I load it extremely heavy, or did I change the tension by putting it under longer durations? And then off of that, so you got kind of this tension on the body, fatiguing the body. And then the last one I kind of look for in applying it is did it challenge you? And I'm not saying like, you know, did it did it bury you, but when you're done, could you tell that you did a workout? I mean, if we're outside of the fatigue and you know, when you get done working out, there should be a sensation that you did a workout. If you go to the gym, you work out for an hour and you walk out of the gym an hour later and you feel like you've done nothing, not saying you have to be fatigued, but there has to be some form of stress or kind of feeling of, you know, I've got a workout. in. so if I can hit kind of those three in different, however I hit that tension, fatigue, and kind of a feeling, I guess you could call it, then I think it's a good workout. I think this is where specificity, and I've mentioned this before on on previous podcasts, but I think especially in the weightlifting and powerlifting world, specificity is just taken way too far. Uh, If you have an athlete even uh, who's been in the game for, for years and years and years, you need to change up something. Mm -hmm. you take these variables and you have to change it up in some way shape or form uh though there just seems to be more room based on what i've observed in other programs for change for experimentation for a different mixing of the potions as sobo mentioned because the longer you're in the game the more work you have to do or not more actual physical work done but the more you have to do to create that change. Uh, every time it seems Sobo, we speak to you, we're asked like, so what, what are you trying out next? It was before, like before it was a high frequency per muscle group plan. And now it's something different because you've been training for so long. At, uh, and, and, uh, I, and now I'm on the, the dad plan. I have about a, a 30 minute window before my little daughter uh, gets tired of watching me work out. <laughs> but, but that, that in that 30 minutes, you have a plan that's going to work for the dad plan. Um, it's, it's evolving. And, and if we don't make those changes with the times that we have available in our schedule and in our lives, we're just going to grow stale. Training will get boring. Um, you know, we see 
a lot of times athletes hopping from program to program. And oftentimes they'll see that the programs share a lot more in common than they think. So rather than jumping from program to program, what if the one person writing the program evolved it in such a way to keep it fun, motivating, challenging in the way that Sobo said, you, you leave the gym and you feel like you got a good workout. That sensation shouldn't change. I, I like the way you, you explain that, Sobo, and I don't really know exactly how to describe it outside of just subjectively saying that you had a good workout. Yeah, I don't think there's really any measurement that you can say. You know, Everybody knows if you've been training long enough or training just a little bit, you know what a good workout feels like in a bad workout. And we all know we, when we do bad workouts, it's not like we can't avoid those. But there's a feeling like, yeah, I did a workout today. I feel good. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just thinking now uh, uh, um, we can maybe share in our own training how we've uh, experimented with these variables in different ways to inspire change, um, at least on the intensity side of things. I know that for our athletes, we've been writing more cluster sets. Cluster sets is just a different way to break up uh, basically loads that we'd use to improve our either power or strength in a different way that ultimately may not lead to better uh, strength gains than would, uh, let's just take the analogy of traditional three sets of five versus three sets of twos with 30 seconds rest between those twos. Um, there's different ways that we can change up volume. We could involve blood flow restriction training. Um, you can involve tempo, like Sobo mentioned with time. There are so many ways to keep training fun, enjoyable, and keep that challenge alive. You just have to basically give it a shot. And we're going to get into, as Kyle mentioned, the implementation of it all as we tie it together in the next podcast. But you want to make sure that you give something a long enough attempt to see its benefits versus trying all these many things and then switching it up haphazardly. So we're not saying that we're taking all these variables and each day we're switching, 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 because then we can't monitor what's actually working. We can't progress. So while this may seem um, sporadic and without a plan, there is certainly a plan. We're just involving uh, more variables than we think are commonly involved in a program and combining them in different ways. Though the progression is there, the larger plan is there. And as Sobo started off in the, in the podcast, the adaptation, most importantly, is there. We are, we are creating that stress response that you need to grow. Um, so so I have a just a general question for you um, because we've heard a lot and Kyle and I uh, talk about the differences in approach behind this minimum effective dose, basically the least amount of work you need to do to get <laughs> bigger, faster, or stronger. And then a, a different approach that has recently been invented and popularized by Dr. Mike Isretel uh, on the other end of the spectrum, which would be maximal recoverable volume. And he argues, well, if you can get to your goals faster, um, why not? Even if it's a little riskier, do you see perhaps 
one approach being better than another? Are they ultimately the same approaches? It's just that the rate at which you do one versus the other will elicit adaptations that happen relatively faster or slower. I think it, it you know it comes down to the, co- co- the context of what you're doing it in, and I know Israelto um, deals with kind of more performance and and bodybuilding and stuff like that, where you want to you want to list the maximum amount of change in the minimum amount of time. Well. You know, he talks about the optimal recovery and, and the the maximum amount of load you can recover from, and that's you know that's really good. It it, it works. I mean, he's proven it. He's shown it. But the question is, you got to ask yourself: Is do you have the time, the effort, the energy to do that? And is that your goal? You know, most of us, you know, do we want to be the biggest? Well, we want to be the biggest we that we want to be. I mean, we don't want to be, no one wants to walk around with 28 inch arms. It'd be cool, but that might not be your goal. And then the minimum dose is kind of what I would like to call more for, you know, a long-term plan and more of a time efficient plan. Cause if you're stressing the body till it till the maximum amount of stress you can put on the body without breaking it, you're taking yourself to some extreme levels so that's that's that end, and then you look at the other end with the minimal effective doses. Is what can I do? What's the least amount of work I can do and still see substantial gains? So one is maximizing gains, and one is just get doing enough to get gains. And you have to see where you are in your career. If, if you're a professional athlete or a CrossFitter, where you want to maximize it and you want to do it quickly, or you want to say, you know what, I'm I'm training for life. I got the next forty years ahead of me. And I have an hour, you know, three days a week. What is the minimum amount of squatting I can do so that I can progressively get stronger? What's the minimum amount of, you know, deadlifts I can do so I get improve my deadlift? Am I going to maximize it and increase my deadlift 30 pounds in three months? Probably not. I might increase my deadlift 30 pounds in three years, but I don't have eight hours to spend in a gym a week. So I think there, there's both, both can do stuff really well. And the great thing about, you know, strength training is that magical pot we make is can be made many different ways. So is your toes way does work. There's all sorts of other ways that work. You just have to figure out what's best for you. And really the minimum effective dose is kind of what I like because a lot of us just don't have the time to grind like a lot of people wish they did. I mean, we just don't have the ability to do heavy volume all the time, or we can't recover because we can't. You know, we don't, we can't afford the, you know, expensive protein shakes and supplements. We, you know, we have a glass of milk and some, you know, a fruit cup or something after a workout. So you got to ask yourself, what, what is your goal and kind of how is that going to scale down to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis? I love the minimum effective dose because, you know, I don't want to do 900 sets. I'd rather do five sets and, and get the gains and get out rather than doing nine sets like and you talked about personal anecdotes. I'm now currently on the one by 20 program. Um, it's quite, quite interesting. I've been on it for about three weeks now. I finished up my uh, high volume, uh, high frequency. I did a body part every day um, for about eight weeks. Now I'm trying this one by 20 method. Basically, you do two warm up sets and then you just do one set of 20, is, and that 20 is basically a 20 rep max. Um, and it's really great because I, in order to warm up for a, a max effort, if you're going to do a heavy one RM, 
it's going to take you 20 minutes to work up to, you know, a 95 plus percentage. Well, if I'm doing 20 reps, I'm maybe at 60%, maybe 65 on some lifts. So if I'm doing bench press, I'm doing 205 for 20 or 215 for 20. I can do 135, 185 and my third works, my third sets, my, my one arm, my 20 RM. And I just did my bench workout in four minutes. So, you know, is, is 20 reps, one set of 20, the minimum effective dosage for where I am at in life right now? Well, hopefully we'll find out here in about three weeks when the cycle is over, but that's kind of just what you have to take into consideration when evaluating programs or evaluating how you're writing programs as well. And if you want this consistent training over time and you enjoy training, you enjoy being in the gym and perhaps you're not in a highly competitive time in your, in your training cycle. Well, with Israel's approach, understanding that it is to optimize these gains, uh, you would have to take these variables and ultimately take a time where there is a reduction in the specific variable that you are focusing on because there aren't multiple variables. There's mainly one. So if you're in a volume cycle, uh, you would ultimately have to have a volume deload because that's the one variable at play and to avoid injury and to keep things fresh again, you would have to have a week or period of time, but probably a week where you're not training as hard. And you also couldn't do it with strength and power as well because it's the maximal recoverable volume of that yeah. variable. so you're optimizing volume presumably to optimize size which we agree with that that's a really good formula but yeah you you would uh a- additionally you would be taking on a whole lot of overload because you can only manipulate one variable to such a degree so if you wanted to put on size and you're a pro bodybuilder and it's your one goal, then you accept that you create this tremendous amount of fatigue and then you deload. And then you kind of rotate the cycle, of course, with periods of resensitizing back into a different variable such as intensity. But if you instead, for those who aren't looking to be pro bodybuilders, but are looking to keep uh, keep training, keep uh, enjoying the benefit of the psychological stimulation and enjoyment that your exercise brings, Well, if you have multiple variables, you never have to fully take time away from training. You could overload one aspect of your training and rather than deloading outright um, because you've taken this minimum effective dose, you instead perhaps back off on one variable and you push the others. And let's just say you messed up along the way and things are crazy and life is crazy. Sure, you, you know, back off on all the variables. But as for a deload, if you have multiple variables, you can keep weaving them together as one peaks, the other one is at its lowest, as one becomes intermediate, perhaps the other is intermediate as well. But that's going back to what I mentioned in that there still is a plan when you're combining the variables together. So I think that also begs the question of why focusing on and I think we might have touched on this a little bit in the last episode, but why might that be better or worse or, or the same than doing, uh, so we were just talking about mixing everything to an extent versus 
if you only focused on one variable, then change to the other, then change to the other. Like if like, what, in like segments, you yeah. Mean. Like what what are the the pros and cons versus focusing on one at a time? But then over the course of the year, like you're going to end up doing them all versus having them all uh, somewhat at the same time, even though there might be an emphasis, de-emphasis. Like what what are the pros and the cons there versus doing one at a time, really maximizing that single attribute before going to the other? Because there's going to be some maintenance of one just from the other. So mm-hmm. like how, what are the pros and cons between those two approaches? Well, the, the biggest pro of, of the, the uh, one focus at a time, a uh, single variable training at a time, is that you will optimize your gains, but it would want to be around the context of something. Mm-hmm. Peaking for a competition, we have and may be conducting very likely this next podcast from Anaheim where I'll, I'll be at tail end of worlds going into American open championship where our athletes who are competing just to give again, context, our athletes who are competing in the American open, they are not doing a lot of volume right now. Mm-hmm. They are training intensity and eventually tapering down to low intensity and low volume to peak for their competition. So the, Low and away, the best thing about training a single variable and probably really the only circumstance in which you train a single variable is to have it based towards improving a specific and likely very singular specific goal, uh, an aspect of fitness. The con of that, as we mentioned, is time, Mm -hmm. perhaps. You make certain sacrifices. So our athletes who are going to the American Open – they make different sacrifices in their training than do our athletes who enjoy weightlifting and do it recreationally. Um, I would say if I were to, before I turn it off to you guys, maybe discuss the pros of the uh, mixed model, ver- uh, pros and cons of mixed model, it, it would just be that uh, pro of the single structure is specificity for a specific event or sport. Yeah. And that the biggest con which those doing the sport probably don't even see as a con Mm -hmm. because they have the resources available and the time available to achieve the goals they want to achieve. But for the person who works nine to five and has kids and has other things in their life, the con would be time. So would you want to just share your, your pros and cons on, on mixed model? Um, Well, the con of mixed model is you don't maximize the, the outcome of whatever model you're on. So if you're trying to maximize hypertrophy and you have the mixed model approach, you're not going to maximize that as much, which is kind of, you know, just the whole idea of the concurrent mixed model approach. Um, so if, you know, like you said, if you're training for the American open, you probably, your mixed model approach is probably going to go out the window. But my idea with the mixed model approach is outside of a pure competitor, we all have to be able to do all things all the time. And the mixed model approach allows for you to keep stimulating those variables throughout your training program. Um, and so you kind of stimulate hypertrophy and strength and endurance throughout it all. But it also, I think it has a huge help um, in an, a topic that most people don't talk about is your mental yeah. Um, yeah. ability. I mean, going in and doing snatches and cleans 
every day for, you know, three sets of two or, you know, four sets of one, and you come back the next day and you do that again, you know, when you do that same repetitive variable over and over again, your body is going to adapt. But mentally, are you going to be there? Sometimes it's just fun to switch it up a little bit. And if you're not trying to compete, you know, you want to keep your mind in it because as soon as you get, you know, you kind of lose your focus in it, you, you know, you lost your body because the body goes where the, the brain tells it to go. So I think that's a huge thing with the approaches. Well, I just did a, I just did three sets of five of squat, but now I'm going to go do, you know, a bunch of, you know, lunges and I got to really felt the strength with my squat, but now I'm going to go blow up my quads with some lunges. And so that mixed model approach you know, allows for you to not have like a stagnant mentality during training. Um, I know that all that hits a lot of people, even into professional athletes who get toward the end of competition and they're, you know, they're, they're hitting 90 plus percent and they're just tired of doing that heavy load over and over again. Yeah. And, and this is where we, and we might even wrap up with this. We're hopefully, uh, forcing you to ask yourself honestly what your goals are because that's where all of this has to begin if you do want to be that bodybuilder who focuses on that training variable of volume for increased hypertrophy then that's that's what you're going to do and it's going to be especially more pronounced in your training volume that is as you want to put on the most amount of size closest to a show same thing for weightlifting and powerlifting uh but when you realize and when you what it takes to and not saying that in order to compete you have to be the best shape you've ever been in you know there are many benefits i think uh, this is super important to mention there there are so many benefits of competition the, the enjoyment of competition the just the fact that you're doing something new and challenging is wonderful but when you see programs that are designed for, I guess, the long-term involvement on the competitive side of a sport, which involves high specificity, you have to ask if that program, 365 days of the year, is right for you. And you could probably respect, and not respect, but come to admire even more those who do choose that path. Um, you know, are weightlifters who do snatch and clean and jerk. And right now they're in their intensity overload. It's tough. It's there. It's usually oftentimes resembles a roller coaster. Um, so, but maybe you even want to talk about your wife and, and what she's accomplished and what you've noticed with her and her training, uh, just being on that, uh, ultra competitive and specific route. Um, so if you talk about like true periodization and specificity, um, Rowing is probably one of the biggest sports that does that. It's kind of amazing watching her train for the Olympics. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the, the details of what they do, but the tr tr true model of just building up all sorts of volume. I mean, she did volume upon volume of rowing. We're talking, she was rowing two, near 200, 200 kilometers a week. All right, so that's you do you do a five k, multiply that by forty, and that's what they've been doing in a week. 
So, I mean, they were doing, you know, two by 12 K, like not 12 Ks. They were doing like three by six Ks. So doing 18 Ks in one sitting, that was just the morning practice. And so the volume was there. And then as the volume peaked, so like when, when we were in Rio, it was early August or mid, late August, mid August, like the fifteenth. So they had been doing a lot of volume up until about mid Feb, mid July, and then he started tapering them by doing some more pieces. They call it the high intensity volume. They call pieces. So they did more pieces. So they built up the volume, decreased the volume, increased the intensity, and then peaked for the Olympics. So I mean, to follow a true method like that. That is, you know, what you see in sports that can periodize and really plan for it like that. So weightlifters, rowers, track and field athletes, um, when you have one or two big meets a year, when you can plan for it, that pure, you know, doing each individual variable at a time, it kind of gives you the best results. Um, and, I, you know, you see it firsthand. Um we, it's kind of funny is in the rowing world, you kind of get these new models of people coming in. And it's kind of funny there. They come from um, more of a science background. I said, well, you know, a 2K in, in rowing is only about six minutes. And that's halfway between your aerobic and your anaerobic. And it's kind of this mixed model. So you should do a lot more high intensity pieces. Um, but they don't understand that the volume has to be there as a base. So you know, doing all the volume, cutting it back, increasing the intensity. Um, you see that a lot with traditional um, one competition window sports. Um, the rest of us, um, football, you think about most Americanized sports, I guess, more team sports that you see that you have seasons, not just one competitive event. So football, soccer, basketball, tennis, any of these sports, if you're a young athlete or training young athletes, the mixed model is the best because what are you going to tell your football player? You know what? You're going to be really, really strong week 12 of the season. The first three weeks, we're going to work on hypertrophy. So we're going to get you bigger for the first three weeks of the season. And then we're going to get you, we're going to switch to more of a strength. And then the last end of the season, we're going to do more, you know, power. Like you need to be powerful with week one. You need to be strong week one. You need to be, you know, have a good, you know, muscular endurance week one. You can't, you know, decide to cut corners on that because you know if you don't have the muscular endurance you die in the fourth quarter if you don't have the strength you get blown off the ball i mean so you the concurrent model or this mixed model approach that we're calling it is primarily probably what you're going to see in team sports if you're a team sport athlete or a trainer or a coach of a team sport but two things i want to talk about really quick is so one i just wanted to uh say something about what you were saying sobo is uh, last episode, you talked about like the, you know, three, four, five percent, where five percent gains was the single, the mixed modal was uh, like the four percent, and the three percent was uh, endurance in terms of strength. Um, and but that one percent difference in going to the Olympics for rowing is huge. So yeah, that's a great. Like point. that's what you have to think about too, where you said that that maximizes that result because if you're looking to win at that level of competition that 1% can be like a ginormous difference, right? Yes, exactly. Um, that, that also reminds me that uh, Knuckles tried to figure out what uh, steroids would give you. 
And what, yeah. did he, what percent did he come up with? Yeah, it was like it wasn't that big. It was like 5 or 10%. Yeah, everyone's like, oh, well, then why would you ever take drugs? It's like, well, do you realize what 5 to 10% is? Like, yeah, it, the Olympic it, stage. We're talking about weightlifting. There's a reason we haven't been competitive, we as in America, in relation to the rest of the world. Maybe throw in like the UK and and Canada. Well, like this thing on a 200 kilo manager cuts 20 kilos. Yeah. So, so, but, but us relative to the drug using weightlifting world, yeah, that, that seemingly small percentage is huge. So there is context for all of this, certainly. Uh, and, and maybe we can, this next thing we can end with, but so in the beginning, we talked about the typical generalities of these training variables and what's classically been heard. Could we maybe go through them and talk about and give some of generalities we would say? Is that you guys think that's possible? You mean within within this model here? Yeah, within this model. Like if we, if we were looking at each of these and and thinking, okay, what when we're thinking about programming, what are some things we generally think of in terms of when we look at volume, intensity, reps, and then when we look at the type of adaptation we're trying to elicit: strength, power, hypertrophy muscular endurance well i think that goes back to the abc model you stole right? my model that's what i was gonna say <laughs> what were you gonna say i said i was gonna go back to the abc too yeah. do you want do you want to talk about that yeah, t- so to explain that what we're what we're getting at wh- why we're thinking well, the same. we talked about the abc but also yeah t- like explain so you know we, we simplify everything down to abc so a is your strength your high intensity you know one rm 95 plus type stuff your your b's kind of more of your middle ground your general strength and then c can be more hypertrophy muscular endurance and so when you think about how we include this model so we 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 simplify it down to abc but it's probably a little bit more complex than that in our heads but if a goes up b can go up and then c has to go up just a little bit so it's kind of like a sliding scale so if you have a lot of if you have a lot of A, you can have a little bit of B and a little bit more C, but you can't have a lot of A, a lot of B, and a lot of C. So if you're kind of your 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 focus, not necessarily like you're zoned in 100% on strength, well, you do 80, you know, 60% of your focus is 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 category A, 20% is B, and 20% is C, or it could be 60, 10, 20, however you want to balance it, but you, you have the ability with this mixed model approach to figure out what works best for you and what, what do you really want to achieve in that, that realm. So you may be on a strength block, and so A might be your importance. So you might dedicate 50% of your programming to A, but then you might dedicate you know, 20% to you know, general strength and then 30% to you know, your endurance. So your focus is strength, but you're still doing these other things as well. Your strength's not 100%. It's maybe 50, 60, 70%. But you still have these other categories that you're moving up and down in kind of a periodized, kind of either periodization or underlaid periodization model. So you know that as one goes up, the other one's going to go down, but it's still going to be there. And then you just keep moving those metrics, those variables as you continue to program long term. And in terms of uh, like reps and sets and intensity, uh, where would those fall in these categories? So like what would an A generally look like versus a B, stuff like that? So we're still pretty um, – like so with your A's, 
Um, we're still pretty much traditional. It's I, I mean, I am at least that it's going to be um, very little volume, um, you know, three sets of two, four sets of two. I mean, keeping it low, keeping your total load under about 15 reps, even maybe even under 10 reps at times. So really low, um, you know, like overall load, not, not including weight, but just reps times sets. And then as you, as you move out of that A block, I think it gets a little bit more kind of fuzzy on how you want to do it. Cause I know Kyle, you, you know, I would consider cluster sets to be kind of in the B group, but more closer to the A group. Yeah, 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 for sure. Right. So it it's categorized as a B, but it really could depend on what you do. If you want to do a cluster sets of, you know, three sets of two, it could look more like an A group. But so you kind of get in that, that realm where rep cluster set, you could do like two rest, two rest, two rest, all the way up to 10 reps. And that would be more of the B. Yeah. So that could look, it could look like, you know, an A category, but it ends up being a C category. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where you can play with is A is pretty much solid. B, you get the more, um, you know, this intermix. And then like C's, either you can do it with time under tension. So how long you are underneath the bar doing pull-ups or just the volume, I think is kind of the two ways. So like how, you know, three sets of 20, you're on the bar, you know, that's, you know, that's 60 reps. So that's 60 reps, you know, that's a lot of volume. Or you can do 10 reps you know, two sets of five and, and make it really slow and be under, be, have your time under tension be, you know, three minutes of total time under tension, which could be the same equivalent of, you know, three sets of 20 could be three minutes of time under tension. So the, the C's and A's are easy to kind of differentiate. The B kind of can be both. Um, and that's just kind of where you have to, as a coach or, you know, one of us figure out what B is going to give you the best result. And think of, uh, a CrossFit, uh, either competitive CrossFit athlete or well, recreational CrossFitter, though someone perhaps who who does CrossFit competitions, and I I, I so often uh, fear that people are going to say, well, this is this is CrossFit, and in the uh, original sense of the CrossFit term, it is not because there is a plan. It is not unknown and unknowable. It is. Uh, following it is not constantly varied it is following a structure now it's not always high intensity it's not always high intensity so in many ways is this unique is it special and completely uh new no it's it's just simply how we're putting the variables together over time but if you are a crossfit athlete and you're listening to this you may think, well, that would be a really good way to approach either different one-off competitions throughout the year or perhaps the CrossFit liftoff or the CrossFit Open because you switch around those uh, foci, so to speak, the, the emphasis, just by where you put your, your attention on A, B, and C, mm-hmm. right? So you just know, okay, well, maybe during the Open, I, I am – training these different variables they're all on a, a specific plan but i'm a little bit more biased towards metcon but i'm not going to let everything else drop off because there might be a heavy lift because there might be a heavy lift so it is resembling and would h- highly benefit a crossfitter because crossfit is mixed model and by nature of uh, involving many general fitness 
characteristics, but there is not this abandoning of one for the benefit of another, which I think some CrossFit athletes may do, especially as a competition nears. Um, and even now with, with local competitions, you get those workouts like over a month in advance. So that gives you a whole like mezzo to, to focus in on what you, what you need to focus on. Yeah. Did we, did we talk about intensities with the A, B, and C too? Pretty sure. Yeah. Yeah. Three by two. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes I blank. <laughs> and we, I mean, and that all varies too. I mean, intensity, once again, intensity is just not, you know, weight. Yeah. It can be how, uh, and conditioning can be how hard you're working. Yeah. So it's not just like, Oh, 90% is high intensity. I mean, high intensity can be going hard with multiple reps. Yeah. So I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing from this podcast is that with all these variables, uh, there's a certain kind of like, uh, boxes you want to make sure you're checking that Sobo kind of talked about. Uh, and then outside of a lot of that, all of these can be manipulated and played around with in that potion that Soba talked about in so many ways. Um, so there's these basic things that you want to hit uh, for certain adaptations in terms of volume, intensity, and all that. But there's so many ways to get there that it's a lot less uh, concrete than it's been made out to be. And it's fun. It's, it's that we call, you know, everybody talks about the science of strength and conditioning. Um, I would claim it's an art. I would claim that strength and conditioning is an art because there is, there is no law of strength and conditioning. There's not, it doesn't follow the rules of science because there's so many different variables that you have to be an artist and be able to, you know, paint the picture and know that you have your greens out now. And I, and this is going to kind of a, a, a rabbit hole real quick, but the old um, painter on um like the public broadcasting the beard guy yeah the beard guy right had the really soft voice we're just, we're just going to put a little tree and it's going to be our tree I can't remember his name. it's our little secret yeah. but like if you're watching him he paints this thing he paints a giant blue all over the screen all over the canvas you're like what's he doing and the next thing you know he draws like a circle and then you're like what is he doing this is ugly and all of a sudden he draws a tree in the middle of it like, <laughs> what the heck is going on and then five minutes later, it's this beautiful mountain with a log cabin with smoke coming out of it. And, you know, it's like, okay, if you just saw the first three strokes, you would think he's crazy. He's, you know, but then you see, why do you put a tree right in the middle? And then you're saying, oh, wait, he was planning on this, this depth perception where the tree actually is in the background, but he painted it first. And, you know, so that's kind of what you have to think about with, with uh, strength and conditioning is you may be painting a tree. And it maybe look like it's in the front of the painting, but in reality, at the end of the day, it might end up in the back. And that's the whole artistry of, you know, being a strength coach and a in a programmer. Ooh, that was that was a good Whoa. one. Whoa! <laughs> should we? I don't know if we should change our work titles or business cards to like body. No, body artist sounds a art, little, strength, and conditioning coach. Yeah, that'd be kind of fun. <laughs> Muscle artists. Yeah, muscle artists. Strength artists. Fitness artists. Yeah. <laughs> we have to look up that guy's name. Um, gosh, I'm just reminded of like the family guy spoof on him. Anyway, YouTube it if you don't know what we're talking about. And Sobo's beautiful um, uh, 
kind of touching uh, a, emotional story about the art of being a coach and programmer will make more sense. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in, guys, and stay tuned next week. See ya. Bye.